Log Talk Radio. anti-NATO uh, 
just a peace movement, celebration, and demonstration that took place on the 30th of March in Washington, D.C. That is the line of the order of the day. And at this point in time, what we're going to do, like always, we're going to get started with our party by going to introduce our by going to introduce our political panelists and analysts for today's program. At this time we first would like to bring in Brother Haki and we'd like to welcome Brother Haki to Africa on the Moon. Welcome Brother Haki. Uh Brother Africa, thanks for having me. My name is Haki Kamafi Mishoki and I got a couple of things I want to share real briefly with the audience. First, I want to reiterate the African American Association we're doing the travel road and liberation and freedom to Cuba, which we will be going to Guantanamo, Santiago de Cuba, and Havana. This trip takes place July 24th, 31st. And for more information, you can give us a call at 202-714-9435 or email us at Africa Awareness Association, all one word, number two, at gmail.com. That's African Awareness Association, number two, at gmail.com. And my second thing, because, you know, I'm all about institution building, Brother Africa, one of the things I think is important that our audience understand is that increasingly, you know, we, we often refer to the working class, but it's important to understand that uh, working class is an obsolete term. Now the term is precarious. And the precarious is simply um, people who won't in a lifetime have access to a steady job. There's a professor by the name of Guy Standen, at, out of the, the uh, Professor of Development Studies at the University of London. And he coined this term precarious, but it's very, very interesting. And defining precarious, he talks about the pervasive economic insecurity, the uncertainty, the inconsistent work, inconsistent work in labor relations, and increasing lack of control. Now, this is very, very important we talk about increasing lack of control because essentially it plays into this whole phenomenon in terms of the amount of depression that exists in fellow panelists and the listening audience. This is Brother Jabari, resident researcher. Real quickly, I would like to share an interesting article I read. And the article was talking about um, how the Internet originated as as a result of military research um, coming up with a way for the create a military communication system. And the reason I share this with the audience is to understand that when you realize that the Internet is a technology that really originated with the military. you got to understand that a lot of these things we use and take for granted, if you look at the origins of it, you'll realize why they're being used as a means to keep us oppressed. That's the thing you have to understand. That unless you develop it, maintain it, and know how it operates, it is a tool that will be used against you because it was designed by somebody that's um, not in your best interest. Peace. Thank you, Brother Jabari. We'll go to Brother Moses, and then we'll come back to Brother Haki. Brother Moses, welcome to Africa on the Moon. Thank you, thank you, and greetings to everyone within the sound of my voice. My name is Robert Andrew Moses. I've been in the struggle for scientific socialism from the moment I was introduced to Marxism during a government class back in my high school years, 1968. I call Marxism the race to cure racism, and uh, 
I bear witness that there is one God, Jesus, the author and finisher of my faith, and that Mao Zedong is his messenger for government. Fathers, help your children. Thank you once again, Brother Africa, for allowing me to be on the show. All right. Father and Brother Moses, we now will go to back to Brother Hackey. We lost you, Brother Hackey. We welcome you back again. Um, can you start off where you left for our Brother Hackey? <laughs> yeah. Uh, anyway, so, uh, you know, uh, to the individuals that are listening to this, this program, uh, you know, uh, thank you for your courtesy. Listen, in terms of what I was talking about earlier in terms of the important terms of uh, a, the term precarious. Now, often we talk about working class. But it's important to get understood that working class is obsolete. Now, what is involved now is the question comes to uh, the whole status of you know, precarious. In fact, this guy, a professor, uh, Guy Stanley, uh, he's a professor of development studies, the University of London, he coined the term precariat. And actually, what he talks about, he talks about the characteristics in, as pertains to precariat. He's talking about pervasive economic insecurity and uncertainty, inconsistent work and labor relations, and increasing lack of control. Now, with respect to increasing lack of control, one of the things you've got to understand is that there's a huge melody that's impacting the American society. That is a question in terms of depression and society. And depression in society is directly correlated to the kind of economic system in which we live. In fact, when we talk about depression, the U.S. has the largest uh, population of depressed people in the world. When we talk about suicides, one in ten U.S. citizens visits the emergency room on a regular basis. So clearly there are, there are negative aspects in terms of just economic changes that are taking place. But what is important is that for the people in the community, given this reality in terms of people's inability to find steady work, uh, given that reality, the question is what are we going to do? So without institutions, we can't adequately address that question, particularly when we talk about this kind of, to the extent that this kind of situation is uh, deteriorating families, communities, you know, and people, that we have to begin to ask ourselves, what, besides what can we do in terms of remedying the situation that we're confronted with? Without institutions, there's no conceivable way in terms of doing that. So institutions are extremely important in terms of people being to understand the nature of what it is to be precarious and understand the impact it has on their lives. So. Institutions are extremely important, and we encourage people to, by all means, please, start building those institutions. Thank you. Okay, what we're going to do right now, we're going to take a station break, and when we come back, we're going to talk about what's going on in our world and our community, and we're going to start off with you, Brother Haki, when we come back. And for our listening audience, you can listen to Africa on the Move. If you have anything you'd like to share with us in terms of what's going on in your world and your community, please do so by calling 323-679-0841, hit 1, and we acknowledge the last four numbers. I know one of the things that's going on in the world is there's a blackout as it relates to the treatment and the genocidal, genocidal process that's going on in Palestine against the Palestinian people. On that note, we won't just pay a, little, a brief shout-out. We are aware of your struggle. You are not in this battle alone. I thank humanity much again to take a stand and say, look, enough is enough. We'll be right back. If you think of the Middle East in this modern time, you can't help but say the word Palestine. People there have lost their land. Some have lost their home. They live in other countries, their freedom almost gone. Palestine, Palestine needs, her freedom. needs her freedom. 
Palestine, Palestine. needs our love, needs our love. Palestine, Palestine. needs her freedom, Palestine, needs our love. There seems to be no answer to give us the reason why people cannot live so no one has to die. We've got to take a stand for freedom, take a stand for truth. Take a stand for justice, that's what we've got to do. Cause Palestine, Palestine needs, her freedom. needs her freedom. Palestine, Palestine needs, our love. needs our love. Palestine, Palestine needs her freedom. Palestine needs our love. People of all countries, of every race and creed, we need a new beginning. Let us plant the seed. Plant the seed of love and let that love seed grow. Plant the seed for everyone so all the world will know that Palestine, Palestine needs her freedom. Needs freedom. Palestine, Palestine needs our love, needs our love. Palestine, Palestine needs her freedom. Her freedom, Palestine, Palestine needs our
So I had the opportunity with other members of my church today to um, feed the homeless in the um, city of Richmond, Virginia. And while it was a great opportunity to be able to help those that um, the lead often um, try to ignore or walk past and see just as objects, I had the opportunity to have a quick conversation with one of the people whom we were serving. And this particular person told me that there's an overflow shelter that we uh, went to in Richmond that is supposed to operate if temperatures get to a certain point where it's just too unbearably cold, it's supposed to open that for the homeless to have a place to go. And this particular um, homeless resident informed me that more often than that, the shelter is not open. It just may depend on some people who might be frustrated with another job. They want to just make a few extra dollars. They may come and open the shelter up for it to provide the function supposed to provide. My question, well, excuse me, my thing I want to make, that's an indictment on an aptitude and inadequacy of effective leadership that Richmond, Virginia continues to be plagued with. Trust me, it's a statewide issue, but in particular with this city, considering um, we look at the context of the city, yes, by numbers, it's a mostly black city, but as we know in terms of the power structure, these capitalists have created something that's very antithetical to the well-being of its residents. It's unfortunate that you can allow something like this continue to happen where it's not a blip but a trend, this kind of um, cronyism and corruption. Brother Bobby, like the what's going on in your world? I'll leave it right there for now. All right, let's go to Brother Moses. Brother Moses, what's going on in your world in the community? Yeah, um, well, the, the Maryland legislature passed a law that uh, there should be a $15 minimum wage, and uh, Governor Hogan vetoed it, but the uh, Maryland legislature voted again to override the veto. So that was that was very interesting. Uh also I I noticed that the the Empire star that was uh being charged with uh false police reports, etc. Uh he was dropped. the charges were were more or less dismissed and he's he uh is the ten thousand dollar court fee and forfeiting his bail bond and uh, his uh, out with community services. And I thought that was very interesting. Uh, the, mayor, the mayor of the city uh, is up in rages. The police department is up in rages, demanding that there be some kind of prosecution and that the government, that the uh, Justice Department intervened in the case and uh, and take away what the verdict has, uh, has been rendered so far. Those are two interesting things. I'll leave it right there. Thank you. You know what, um, Brother Moses Pennis, I'd like for the other way in. What do y'all think of how they dealt with uh, the case with Brother uh, Jesse? The case of Chicago. Interested with um, the New York police 
Chicago police, they had written rules for the two accusers. And, you know, they were controlling them the whole time. I wonder what that was all about. And I don't understand why the mayor, Ron Emanuel, has taken up so much time just to dedicate towards that particular case, given all the issues and problems and killings and the corruption that Chicago historically have been known for and continue to be known for. Uh, um, what's what's, what's your, your take on that, brother? Yeah, the, the whole. Can you hear me? Yes, we can. can. You hear me? Yes, we can. Yeah, the whole. Yes, the whole, the whole case. I mean, was very very problematic. Uh, one thing, listen to the media, you could, you would conclude that in fact everything was was solved. That in fact that they had him, you know, done to right. Well, it turns out that this this, this notion in terms of these these, these, these absolute absolute uh, 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 evidence they had uh, turned out not to be evidence at all. But well, speaks to values in terms of the kind of uh, propaganda that takes place and why it exists in the first place. Uh, so I think that the mere fact that this this this, this case. Uh, has uh, garnered so much attention. Has a lot in terms of the in terms of the politics. One of the things that you know now now that they were caught <laughs> in terms of you know the the, the level of hypocrisy, the level of uh, propaganda that surrounds the case is very evident to people. The only thing they can do now is backtrack. And so what they're trying to do now is to save face by simply going back at him for a second try in terms of trying to find something to justify you know uh, you know charging him with a crime. So clearly, this, uh, the, the role of propaganda played a big part in terms of deceiving people around the state. And so that's why you see this urgency in terms of going back at him a second time because they want to make sure, you know, that they, they set an example of a particular individual. Okay, Brother Zabari, your take on it? Are you with us, Brother Zabari? Okay, with uh, Mike, Brother Jabari. If you are listening to this program, you hear some statics in this program. Those are periodical issues that we've been trying to work out. We don't have control over it. We have been working, trying to work out with uh, the agency that sponsored these programs, Long Talk, and as of right now, it's just trying to figure out uh, what is going on with, with this, this issue. So, you wanna, you're going to actually bear with us. Okay, uh, are you with us, Brother Moses? Uh, can you give me your take on it, Brother Moses? What do you think of how they treated this case? What, what did you detect from this in terms of why it's so yeah, strange? I, it is uh, strange. At first, they trained, they had uh, the two guys, you know, saying they were paid by, by the, the brother to... Uh, to attack him and uh, and they claim all that and and that he filed false police reports and all that and so it's, something happened where the prosecutor obviously decided that there wasn't enough evidence or something 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 went wrong in in terms of their case and uh, and now everyone's up in arms uh uh there seems to be the facts, you know, uh, uh, are in question. I mean, whether 
whether these guys are telling the truth. Uh, certainly, the, the what is his name, Marletta, uh, uh He's saying that uh, he's sticking to his story all along. He's never changed his story, and he's sticking to his story. So, uh, I don't know. It's very strange to me. Uh, uh, obviously, they're spending a lot of money and a lot of time on this case, and uh, and uh, even the president of the U.S. is is, is calling for an yeah, investigation to judge for it. So there's something weird going on. It's, it's very strange case to me. I don't I don't have a way of of getting to the bottom line of it. Uh, so all I can do is depend upon the news and. Uh, what they what they put on the news and um, it's very confusing to me. Thank you. You know, um, do we have Brother Jabari? Brother Jabari, do we have you back? Okay, but well, one of the things we would do is um, I'd like to raise this case. I couldn't quite figure out a couple of things. It also came out that these two individuals that were allegedly attacked Jesse. They also had, did have some kind of white makeup over their skin uh, while they were under the mask. And they also came out, like I stated earlier, why was the Chicago police uh, ridden or purchasing rooms for these two individuals? Uh, you know, wh- wh- what was that about? And Brother Moses, I am in agreement with you. At least his story was inconsistent. He never changed his. Whereas we're dealing with facts come out, they just refuse to acknowledge it and try to make it realize trying to make you realize that what they said the first time was actually the truth. But they didn't deal with the changing stories from day in, day out as it relates to their so called investigation. So I just find that you know, I just you know, I find that real real credible. And we know most time when you deal with prosecution prosecutor, particularly African prosecutors, they normally have a great capacity to uh saddle on the state. So I'm quite sure that sister had reason why she did what she did in terms of it really conclude the burden of saying that he was guilty with the one to charge him of. Because um, if it was, I don't think it would be um, that easy for her to do what she did. So anyway, Brother um, Hackney, in terms of your perspective on uh, police force giving the right to do as they please, in terms of raise the issue about New York, uh, police were raping a young lady. You know, I think the bottom line is, which we all know, is that is the police force. Um, they are the first line of protection of the rich and wealthy and their property. And we know out of capitalism, you know, property is more important than people. And the wealthy class will be protected at all expense. And I just think they understand that, you know, no matter what the police does, they got to allow them to have a, have a free ring to do whatever they want to do if they want to make sure they have someone to protect their property and protect them. So I think that this whole concept of police need to be now looked at but need to be discarded and we come up with something else in terms of how do people, how can people best organize themselves to protect, you know, their interests, their community, and protect what is just and what is right. Your response. No, I, I can I concur. Uh, you know, one of the things, you know, why it's so important we keep talking about authoritarianism, it's important we understand that and where we are in terms of history. 
uh, anytime we allow those servants, supposedly servants of the people, to commit atrocities against the people, then what you're doing is not only Carl Brunch giving support to that kind of male treatment of their citizens, but you're encouraging it because the cops understand that they can victimize people with impunity, particularly African people and or poor people with impunity, and there is no recourse. And the question is, of course, why they continue to allow it to happen. Well, they allowed it to happen simply because it's in the interest of the system, as you alluded to. And so when you talk about the first line of defense in terms of uh, protecting the wealthy, you're absolutely correct. That's precisely why they're such a valuable asset to the ruling class, because, you know, because they are the first line of defense. Because once people come to the realization that they're being screwed, then inevitably history has been very clear on this point, that you can anticipate you know, some type of response. And often we talk about France and we talk about the, 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 the yellow vest in terms of what they're doing in terms of trying to bring some redress to the insanity that exists in that system. Uh, they understand, the ruling class understands that at some point, even the most uh, well-intended attempts to address those issues uh, come to naught, which means that people are compelled to take other, take other kinds of strategies in terms of overcoming the injustices that they're fundamentally confronted with. So the ruling class understands this, this historical reality, and so therefore the cops are extremely important in ter- as, a, as, 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 a, as, as a first-time defense in terms of making sure that uh, those individuals who conceivably, quote-unquote, threaten the status quo uh, are dealt with. And, and when we talk about devil, we're talking about not just in terms of wholesale incarceration of people, which America does a very good job of, but we also talk about in terms of the, the systematic brut- brutalization uh, the brutality, you know, inflicted upon the population as a warning, you know, that, uh, you know, this is, you can anticipate more of this, you know, the more you step out of line. So clearly, you know, yes, you're absolutely correct, Brother Africa. It's, it's all about the ruling class. And so this question in terms of authoritarianism, uh, authoritarianism is very, very important. We understand precisely regarding history and why these cops are being able to do this with impunity. And there is no cry from the federal government in terms of some type of redress in terms of the systemic wrongs inflicted upon the community. And we can see this kind of um, behavior has been institutionalized by how they function on a daily basis as relates to their interaction with everyday people, particularly um, African people in these communities. For example, panelists uh, recently in the city of Richmond, Virginia, that was that's been reported on the news, the incident, at a middle school, a middle school in Richmond, Virginia, where students were outside waiting to go to an after-school program of some of such, and it was approached by a police, uh, a policeman, and one of his response to the students were, was that he told them that, well, I know how to deal with you, and I'll deal with you when you get 18 years old. We not deal with people like you once you get 18, then we'll deal with you. Now. They have raised raised all kinds of issues among a few people in this community, but not the community as a whole. What do y'all make of such a response if a European policeman would tell an African youth in middle school that we would deal with you when you get 18, we'd not deal with you, yours coming? I paraphrase, and that was a general statement we made to the students. And of course, it has upset the students. It has upset some mothers. But... um. How do you deal with with, with that kind of um, disposition with civil servants in which the people so-called paying their salaries, paying their taxes to protect them? Yeah, well, this this kind of contempt for the community is very, very clear. 
uh, it's not hyperbole to say that uh, the kind of uh, insensitivity that displayed uh, toward against the community uh, has been going on for a long, long time. So I'm not surprised. You know, and keep in mind also, uh, Brother Africa, you got, you, you know, one thing, one of the strategies in terms of the right wing of society is to these racists to infiltrate the police department. So you got a lot of them in the police departments. And so uh, just, just, so this, 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 this very um, uh, um, neanderthal mentality in terms of toward people of color, it's often is very, very prominent, you know, in a lot of law enforcement agencies. And so the question is right. What, 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 what can you do about that? One of the things is very, very clear that when he said that to the young, to the young brother, uh, the response from the community, certainly the response from the parents, should have been swift, number one, uh, because that kind of the implications of what he's saying, that somehow that this kid, by virtue of who he is, means that he's somehow innately prone to criminality, or speaks values in terms of how the system operates. The system is predicated on the notion that, in fact, that African people are violent. But it's very, very ironic when you look at the history of the society, when you look at the system, when you look at the history, uh, when you talk about violence, and nobody can come closer to the level of violence perpetrated by the system, individuals, and positions of power. So the mere fact that you scapegoat, that you project, and continue to blame, to, to say that African people are, are violent, uh, speaks violence in terms of the political strategy that exists among the law enforcement to justify the, the brutality inflicted upon African people. So you know, uh, you know, I'm I'm just wondering, you know, brother Africa. So what is what was the school's response? You know, when the, you know, when you know when the, when the young brother went back and you know told the parents and the parents went to school. I'm assuming the parents did go to the school and raised a question like, who is, who is this police officer? Because I want to meet him. I want to talk to him. Then after I talk to him, then I'm going downstairs. I'm going to, to the to the headquarters. I'm going to raise hell there. I'm not going to stop there. I'm going to organize people around the issue in terms of you know this this kind of mindset in the police department. And make make it known to all, you know, this kind of this kind of uh, mindset would not be would, would not be accepted. So I'm hoping that uh, the mother and the father would 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 actually get involved and say that listen, it, this this kind of thing simply can't be. And, it, and what he conveyed to the young brother is absolutely correct because if that young brother was 18, you know, and if he didn't conform in a way in which he thought he should have conformed, then this cop have the right, even illegality aside has the right to simply brutalize this person under the guise that this child this kid this child was being combated. So this this is this is this is this is the, the paradox that we find ourselves in society. For those who want to believe that in fact, you know, that there's equal justice under the law, there's 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 a myriad of, of instances which says that we're not all equal under the law. And so therefore because we're not equal under the law, we have to be more vigilant. So when these kind of incidents happen then it's coming upon the parents to educate the community, let the community know what's going on, the community get involved to make sure that kind of thing doesn't happen. I mean, you know, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying simply educating the community is enough in and of itself in terms of ensuring this kind of thing doesn't happen, but at least you raise visibility to the situation so the next racist cop that comes along will be very, very circumspect in terms of the kind of words, the kind of verbiage you utilize when it comes to interaction with our young people. So I think that you know, the parents have to most definitely get involved and educate the community in terms of what's going on. And the community has to respond because this is this kind of thing is is, is intolerable. I mean, it simply can't happen. Brother Moses, Jabari, what y'all make of that that incident? How should uh, people respond to that situation so it will never happen again? Yes, we have to have community involvement. I- Community activists have to be involved. Uh, 
point out what to make publicize what's going on and make it made it make it well known throughout the community what happened uh and so that there there can be a uh, uh, outrage by the community and and public opinion, you know, to somehow uh, at least uh, uh, make it known that this is intolerable, this is not not right, and that uh, it should not be tolerated. Uh, the police are going to be the police, and uh, and uh, you know whether or not they think their behavior is is. It's dependent upon uh, uh, a lot more factors than just public opinion, uh, uh, but but uh, at least public opinion will slow them down some. Uh, uh, I, I, you know, this this it's a uh, question of education. It's a question of activism and and, uh, and uh, getting people out to protest and. Uh, this 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 to keep it community consciousness. Thank you. Jabari? Brother brother Anthony, we welcome you back. Yeah. So what's going to do with our community? There was an incident in Richmond, Virginia, where a policeman made a statement to some youth about, you know, um European policeman about you know, he not you know, he would take care of them, he not deal with them you know, when they get 18, and it really upset these students. And um, I was just saying that we can see that this kind of behavior has been institutionalized for policemen to feel they're comfortable to come to come to a school and outright say, make no kind of statements to these, these young children. Uh, how can we create a scenario where those kind of attitudes will never be reflected towards any other youth in the future. I'm just wondering, what would be your response to that situation? Uh, my response to that situation is that uh, in addition to parental involvement, uh, the school administration needs to be involved because it was with the permission of the school administration uh, that 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 these police were able to speak, uh, you, you know, to the youth in that manner. So I think there needs to be community. Let me just hold you for one second for my understanding and listen to this report on the news. I don't think the administration should be put in that light because I think this was something that was arbitrarily done by a policeman because it happened to be right by in the school and saw the kids on the outside waiting for their, their, their transportation ride to go somewhere. So, oh, sense, okay. All right. It's, yeah, it was clearly well, uh, that they were initiated, and not not you know it wasn't so much administration putting the kids in harm's way. But go ahead. Okay, well thanks for pointing that out to me, and I will. But I still do, uh, you know, stand by the. It's important that the community gets organized in order to challenge uh, the the culture that that exists. That uh, that police can say uh, say anything they want to any African they see, and it reflects the level of disrespect that we have that pervades the society, and it's because we are disorganized and powerless. Uh, you know that 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 they feel they can get away with this. Uh, 
So really, uh, you know, in the short term, it takes uh, it's going to take a, a greater level of community activism, and in the long term, it's going to take us organizing ourselves so that we so that we get the power to control our community. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, let's, let's switch the subject for a second, and I would like to get your response in terms of what's going on in my world community. I read some articles about recently in Africa, in Mozambique and Zimbabwe, the whole southern eastern section of Africa, there has been some tornadoes impacting in that region, and it has killed and scored large tracts of land and people. Also, there are dams that are possibly uh, bursting as a result of all this, this, this weather impacting the area. Um, and there seems to be very little attention being brought to that, you know, as relates to um, mass media, that's that mass media. But in terms of that happening, um, isn't sort of strange? Africa, I never knew Africa really to have those types of... Um, those types of weather conditions, tornadoes and stuff, um, occurring in Africa. So I'd like to just hear your response. What do y'all make of uh, of that these natural disasters that just recently happened in the region? Is it uh, a global well, global warning, or is it maybe some other stuff might be at stake? Well, yeah, bear well, in mind that this took place on the Indian Ocean, which is where mm-hmm. Mozambique. Zimbabwe and uh, uh, Zanga, South Africa have their coastlines on the Indian Ocean. Now, usually a lot of storms originate from Africa through the Atlantic, but mm-hmm. I think it's a result of uh, climate change that's co- increasing the severity of the storm, the storms that hit various parts of the world. I, I concur. I concur. Uh, one of the things is that when you talk about these cyclones that uh, hit uh, Zimbabwe, uh, Mozambique, and Malawi, uh, I think it's important to understand that it's been predicted, you know, uh, 10 years ago uh, that these kind of cyclones, in fact, would happen. And they often talk about this, this, this um, north-south axis. And so when they refer to the south, essentially what they're talking about is those, those countries of people of color, which includes Africa. And so they talk about the fact that the horrific uh, uh, a result of global warming, and so one of the reasons why they don't talk about that, brother Africa, I think, is because once the, in vain there was something that you said. Once you start talking about what's happening in Africa in terms of weather, then immediately it raised the raise raised the question of, you know, what what extent does global warming play in terms of changing the 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 the, uh, the, the temperature of, or, or change the weather patterns in Africa? So therefore, it's in the interest of the power to the elite not to even deal with Africa, so they don't talk about it. They, you know, they, they, they mentioned that it was cyclone, and that's the end of the discussion, but there's no mention of uh, global warming. But clearly the South is paying a disproportionate price in terms of global warming. Even now, um, we talk about something like uh, Kilimanjaro, we talk about the ice melting at the top of Kilimanjaro. It's been impacting Africa for a long, long time, and they, we, we talk about famine, and we talk about all these issues that are germane to Africa. And the question, you know, and unfortunately, you know, unless African leadership, Come to the realization that this this, this global temperature, this global change is global temperature change is real. Uh, I think what's going to happen that there'll be no counter steps to to combat, you know, essentially what the north what the north is doing, particularly countries like the United States and Western Europe, 
are doing in terms of impacting the climate, making all of these horrific uh, storms possible in the first place. So you're absolutely correct. It has a lot, everything in the world to do with global warming, and this is only the iceberg. Um, there's more to come. And so clearly, uh, you know, African leadership got this work cut out for it in terms of trying some countermeasure because as long as the West persists in terms of uh, its practices in terms of carbon and methane into the atmosphere, then these kind of things continue to happen, and nothing's going to change that unless there's serious uh, reduction in terms of methane and, and carbon emissions you know, in the Western world. And that's not going to happen because life is not important. What is important in the Western context is money. So until that changes, then Africa and, and countries in the South, global South, I'll continue to experience you know, these horrific storms uh, that, are, that are going to uh, take place. Father Anthony, we're going to go to you now. If you'd like to share anything in terms of what's going on in your world and the community. Okay. Um, uh, let's see. There was uh, a, a, a note to NATO, a uh, note to uh, intervention in Valus Whaler demonstration held in Washington, D.C. yesterday, which I attended uh, a portion of. I came with a group of uh, persons out of uh, New Jersey on a bus ride, so I wasn't able to, to stay for the, uh, uh, for the entire duration. But uh, from what I noticed, there was a strong, uh, 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 heavy emphasis on, uh, on on not attacking Venezuela any further, and uh, its right to uh, you, you know to to to, uh, uh, to a sovereignty, and for the people to govern Venezuela the way they the masses see fit. And also, it was a strong, um, you know, uh, so, uh, strong. Uh, uh, progressive anti-imperialist tone to the, to the overall demonstration. Okay, we'll be going to be right panelists. You're to listen to Half Gone to Move. We're going to take a brief pause for the cause, and when we come back, we're going to discuss our today's theme, which is part two of state opinion. We're going to talk about our sister Ihan Omar. What do we make of her? Uh, recent statements of behavior in the Senate in terms of trying to hold people accountable. Uh, there was an article daily that stated that Omar throws shade at Obama. We don't want anybody to get away with murder because they are polished. We're going to just talk about that and more as it relates to our state of being when we return right back from the station break. You got to listen to Africa on the move.
Prayer Survival. The Scrubbers continues, and welcome back to Africa on the Moon. What we're going to do right now, we're going to make our transition, and we begin to address our theme tonight, which is part two, a state of being. Now, when we look at the political state of being in this country, it can be described, one of the best ways of it, of it being described is to take a look at its membership. Now, one of the membership uh, current new uh, representative is now from from Minnesota. I believe she functions as a Democrat. Is Sister Ehan Omar. Now, one of the things I think she raises in terms of her particular participation so far in this in this institution is the question of should one really represent the interests of their consistency consistency or the area where they come from and the people. And if she does, why would one come under such scrutiny and criticism? Recently there was an interesting article came out of Yahoo News on the March the eighth, two thousand and nineteen title and we we will share with you some of the issues that we have with it and really encourage you to go and check it out, which is titled Omar Throws Shared at Obama. We don't want anybody to get away with murder because they are polished. Now, that's real interesting. Real interesting because one of the things what she did was she didn't only attack the present administration policy as it relates to people and countries, but she also attacked the administration prior before then. And she talked about and spoke about some of the consistencies of all administration as it relates to fairness and justice and oppression that has been levied towards country or African countries and countries of indigenous people. And we'd like to talk a little bit about her behavior and does it warrant such a response based upon what she has received recently and somewhat trying to be recommend to be recommended recommend for her behavior. And I'm not quite sure what is the what what has been wrong with her behavior. But clearly to me, it seemed like she spoke truth to power, and she was honest. So if you don't want representatives like that, then what the hell are we voting for? Brother Anthony, as you critique this article, um, when you look at this sister as a representative of her people and her community, and she made a real profound statement about, you know, this whole question that um, we don't want anybody to get away with murder because they are polished. And that statement was more geared towards the role and the policy behavior of former president of the United States, Barack Obama. What do you make of her critique of past and present administration? I think her critique is accurate. Um, you know, uh, and uh, she's representing her constituency, not towing the line of the Democratic Party which is why she's being attacked by both Republicans and Democrats uh, for, her, uh, for her political views. And she did something interesting. She criticized a fellow African politician, which, is, which, which, which rarely happens in the mainstream media or, or, or in any other uh, venue inside the U.S., she criticized. She pointed out that uh, that a lot of uh, Trump's uh, policies 
were the same policies that were carried out under the Obama administration, which is true. And uh, because of her honesty and forthrightness, and because she's generally trying to put into practice the principles of Islam, which she um, which she lives by, uh, she's undergone uh, she's uh, undergone criticism by both the Republicans and the Democrats alike, and uh, she's been accused of anti-Semitism and racism because of her views, which is highly inaccurate, but. Uh, but anybody that follows the news closely inside the U.S. realizes that anybody that criticizes Israel or Zionism is automatically labeled an anti-Semitic, even though she herself comes from a Semitic people. Somali is uh, is in the general uh, location where Kush was, uh, you, you, you know, was located. And uh, that's the very first country mentioned in the Bible. So it's rather ironic that, uh, you, you know, based upon her background, that she's being accused of, of being an anti-Semite, but that's a consequence of her criticism of U.S. policy overall, especially in regards to uh, Palestine. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Brother Haki? She made a statement, we can't be on upset with Trump. Omar told Political for a profile that was published Friday. His policies are bad, but many of the people who came before him also had really bad policies. They were just more polished than he was. That's not what we should be looking for, for anyone. She continued, we don't want anybody to get away with murder because they are polished. Do we, Hacky? What you make of that statement? Well, you know, the, the thing you got to admire about this young lady is the fact that, uh, you know, she says it how it is. Uh, you know, people attribute to her statements to political immaturity. I think she understands clearly what she's saying. I think she's had enough, uh, you know, of the hypocrisy. I think she's willing to actually speak truth to power. And that's something that Washington's not used to. Certainly we're talking about uh, both the Democratic and Republican Party. Uh, but the mere fact that she speaks truth, you know, is something that should be uh, praised. In fact, she's a breath of fresh air because she speaks so honestly. In fact, one of the things, let me just mention real, real quickly here, Brother Africa, uh, before I get to the question. Uh, it's important when we talk about this question of anti-Semitism that it's important that we understand that uh, what, Semitic, what being Semitic means, Brother Anthony alluded to. And often uh, the term uh, anti-Semitry is applied to people of color who, in fact, are Semitic. And so it's ironic you know that uh, uh, a lot of times anti-Semitry is 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 somehow conveyed as somehow meaning those white people in 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 Egypt are somehow Semitic. When in fact, they're not Semitic. You know, they're they're European. But anyway, but anyway, so it's good. It's important that you pointed out. Never say anti-Semitism. That you point out. No, I'm not anti-Semitic because I can't be anti-me. It's important you point that out. But one of the things that does a uh, a former uh, editor of APAC, uh His name was uh, M. J. Rosenberg. He talked about the science of bribing as politicians, and that's precisely what uh, Sister Omar was talking about, that, in fact, uh, you, the, the Israel has such a strong stand in U.S. politics because of the corruption that inherently exists 
in a U.S. Uh, political body. And so, therefore, the ability to simply pay off these politicians is well established. And so nobody would, nobody could say that's anti-Semitic. That's, in fact, reality. Uh, John Mishima, uh, a political science professor of the University of Chicago, he talked about the fact of how the APAC, uh, the Zionist lobby, how they actually fund candidates to go against those that are, quote, perceived as, quote, unquote, anti-Israel. And so, therefore, this is a science. This is what they do. Remember, if you can recall, uh, Yusek Ravine, right, the former prime minister of Israel, right, he used to, he was very much a, a, in, a, in opposition to Zionism because he thought it was anti-democratic and antagonistic, and not unnecessarily so. In fact, he was killed by a right-winger and uh, affiliate of the Likud party. And so, therefore, anybody who criticizes the, the state of Israel in terms of the kind of awesome power wells in U.S. circles is often accused of being anti-Semitic, even if they're Jewish, they're, con- they're considered to be anti-Semitic. Uh, so, and also, I think, you know, when she talks about the fact, to get to your question, when she talks about the fact that we simply can't, you know, uh, talk about Trump, uh, some, see Trump in isolation, that in fact we got to look at these, these, these predecessors in terms of the things that they did in terms of making it possible for Trump to do what he wants to do. Uh, particularly when you talk about these drone strikes. Uh, Obama was the pioneer in terms of these drone strikes. So when he sat down and set out these presidential directives ju- justifying uh, these, these these strikes, understand that these strikes that he talked about killed, killed many, many people. It's estimated that uh, he, in, in terms of when he initially started that, it killed over close to 4,000 people uh, just from drone strikes. Now, he ultimately, according to the Council of Foreign Relations, committed 400, 542 uh, drone strikes. Clearly, uh, this question in terms of human rights is wasn't a, 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 a guiding concern in terms of Obama. And it's important we understand and get away from this color politics in terms of color, the color of his skin, then somehow that he's not a puppet, a useful puppet for white supremacy. Of course he is. And so, therefore, carrying out these airstrikes, killing all these people of color around the world, uh, is in keeping with the interests of the pow- white power structure. And so, therefore, she's honest to say that irrespective of the color, that you understand that these people who, who buttress, who, who, who prop up the system, are just as dangerous as any white person who, in turn, prop up a system and unilaterally, uh, you know, kill people based upon religion, color of skin, or, or, or ethnicity. So she's absolutely correct. So you can't singularly blame Trump in terms of atrocities commit because Obama played a big part in it. And also, one of the things, let me close with this, and I have to say this. One of the things, we talk about the 2008 debacle in terms of that when the banks stole, when the banks stole all their money, uh, when they created these these collateral debt organizations for the sole purpose in terms of jacking up, you know, monthly mortgages, the sole purpose of making lots and lots of money, these made people make hundreds, hundreds of billions of dollars in terms of doing that. Not a one went to jail except one, uh, Lee Mazzella of uh, Countrywide. He was the only one to go to jail, and these guys are wealthy, extremely wealthy. Obama did absolutely nothing. When it comes to, 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 crim- to, to, to war criminals, Bush, Cheney, Wongsell, Wolfowitz, and the rest of them, he, as opposed to going after them, what he did was turn, he said, we're going to move forward and not think about the past. Well, what he was saying is that, listen, my allegiance is not to the people who voted me into power. My allegiance is to the old people in position of power. So therefore, I understand that if I go against them, then I undermine my own interests. So if his own interests supersedes the interests of his people, then you're absolutely right, Brother Africa. What is the fucking point of voting if, in fact, you vote, but these people keep playing this game because they understand that playing this game, there's a benefit to them financially in terms of playing this game. So the, so someone who, like Ihan Omar, comes along and says, listen, later for this game, I'm going to speak truth to power, 
of course you're going to be attacked mercifully. I mean, and also one of the things that when when they, when 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 APAC went up against, went, confronted Nancy Pelosi, one of the things they demanded, they don't ask, they demand, you know, give me all the money we put in your pocket. They demand that you censored or get rid of uh, Congresswoman Omar off this committee. Well, thank, thankfully, the Black Political Caucus and other progressive groups in the Congress finally found some 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 uh, fortitude and stood up and said, "No, no what? We're not going to go along with that. You're not going to censor her out. You're not gonna, you're not going to uh, uh, you know penalize her for speaking truth because what she's saying is absolutely correct. And so, in doing that, it's compelled Nancy Pelosi to 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 to, you know, to create some some uh, some statement when she talks about the fact some resolution that she pushed condemning all forms of bigotry, including bigotry related to African uh, Americans, Native people, Jews, Muslims, Hindu, etc. But initially, the point was that they wanted to victimize, they wanted to punish Ihan Omar for taking a stand in terms of exposing the complicity between the U.S. government, uh, governmental body, and the Israeli lobby, APAC. So clearly, uh, Omar, as she's absolutely correct, Obama serves a lot, he deserves a lot of blame in terms of the current ills uh, people find themselves confronted with, you know, currently. Brother Moses, what's your take on Sister Omar? How do you see her? Certainly, um, Omar is speaking truth to power, and we should recognize that. Um, this this is an ideological struggle between the uh, working people and the owning class and uh, the different viewpoints we have of in terms of how we see things. And uh, so obviously irreconcilable differences between the two viewpoints because one says yes, the other says no. That's, that's, that's to be understood, you know. When she, when she, has, when she points out the, the consistency between the establishment and what has been going on in the establishment, uh, She's, points, she's talking about the actual failure of the establishment to, to look out for the interests of us as, as working people. And uh, and so, you know, this is ideological. Like I said, it's ideological. I mean, there's two, two class stands, and, and they're irreconcilable. We have to understand that. We can't expect Trump to agree with, with Omar. It's not going to happen now. Uh, so you know we have to we have to organize and uh, perpetuate our, our interests and our viewpoint and overwhelm the old opposition viewpoint. And that's the only way you know things are going to change is, is when we are so organized that uh, we're able to overcome. The uh, the opposition and the opposition is obviously, like I said, it's irreconcilable differences. The one has to defeat the other. There's no there's no uh, uh, compromise between the two. Thank you. You know, panelists. You know, uh, as we talk about the state of being, one of the other things that came out of this article was the issue of how. Deeds administration are treating human beings and humanity in terms of not recognizing them as being human. This question of at the border and throughout these different camps, they are putting human beings in cages. Now, 
does that scrack up uh, a history or past history of how they first view African people and people who was indigenous when they first encountered them? Why is it cages are being used to incarcerate children, families, and so-called, you know, uh, criminals? Is that acceptable in in, in a just humane society? How do you create conditions to allow this to become the norm? And that's what's going on today in that prison system, not in these prison systems. And even at some political rallies and protests, they now have policy where you have to stay in a cage and can't go past a certain point. So what does that say about a a society that finds that acceptable and there's no opposition to it, panelists? I'd like for y'all to weigh in on this issue. There's been a pattern of this going on for quite a while. And it didn't start with the Trump administration, even though it's intensified since he's been in office. But it went on under the uh, under the Bush uh, and Obama administrations as well. But they did not separate families to uh, you know to the degree uh, that 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 is occurring under the Trump administration under the Trump administration. Yet their work laid the groundwork for what Trump is doing now. So uh, you know they just um, you know as um, Omar correctly states, you cannot, uh, uh, you know, allow people to get to get away with murder because they're more polished, and um, and 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 that's something we have to guard against. But the reason why she's catching so much criticism is that she's trying to represent the interests of her constituents, not necessarily the total line of the Democratic Party. And that is why uh, she is so disliked by a lot of the, 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 the political establishment. Well, yeah, with this condition of cages people, Brother Moses, I think you put element in cages, you know, you do people like that. Why does it seem to be accept- acceptance of just these type of conditions now? Well, evidently, one of the one of the reasons they're separating families and children because they criminalize criminalize uh, uh, the situation. That before, I don't think the the uh, the the issue was one of uh, criminalization, you know, the, as a federal offense or whatever. Uh, if you were immigrant, but now they criminalize them and and. Uh, Use that as a, a means to separate them from their children. Uh, they're putting people in cages, or uh, uh, this is just good old U.S. consistency with inhumanity, and uh, and uh, it's not that surprising. Uh, uh, the U.S. has always been inhumane. We, we were brought over here in shackles. Uh, uh, this is not. This is this is the government uh, uh, consistently uh, been 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 uh, atrocious when it comes to human rights, and so you know we have to recognize that and 
the, the problem is the government itself, and you know, until there's a change and a new government, we 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 can expect uh, one form or another these atrocities to continue one way or another. Uh, that's the bottom line. Of it. it's, a, it's a systematic, institutionalized problem, and we have to understand it for what it is. Thank you. We ain't on this I agree. Yeah, I, 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 you know, I, I agree, brother Robert. You, you absolutely correct. Uh, one of the things that the, the, the cages are symbolic. They're symbolic of something. Uh, to put someone in a cage is to say that somehow that their humanity is not only not respected, but shouldn't be respected. So I think any time you do that to children, I think what you're saying is that what you're saying in essence is that their right to exist as human beings. In your mind, doesn't exist. And so, therefore, this kind of treatment, and the mere fact of Africa that you alluded to, when you, when you think about as a population, more often a more outcry in terms of, you know, just, you know, uh, preventing this kind of thing from happening, uh, too many people in society are all too willing to go along with the status quo. Uh, so, it says a lot in terms of what, you know, what, what is it? What is this American character? I mean, what is it all about? Is, it, is your American character humane? Uh, is it sensitive? Uh, it's empathetic. Uh, I would I would argue that perhaps the American character is something less than wholesome, and clearly this caging of children. You know, uh, even though uh, the those in the right take a position, that caging the, the children serves as a dis- disincentive for you know for people to come uh, come to the United States, also miss the mark because what they don't take into consideration is that the conditions that Western nations create, in particular the United States. The conditions that they create in those countries compelling those people to leave, uh, you know, bears a lot of responsibility in terms of why people come in here in the first place. It's not that they want to leave their homes to come here, but the situations at their homes where they come from is so untenable that they have no other recourse but to, but to come here in the hopes of a better life. Of course, we understand, of course, in terms of actually really, you know, creating a better life is another question. But unless the perception is that they come here, things will be better. Certainly things, at least they don't have to worry about being killed, like they have the possibility of being killed in their home country. So clearly the kind of, uh, 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 the kind of policy that facilitates this large flow of, uh, of migrants or immigrants into the United States uh, is never addressed. And until that's addressed, you continue to have this flow of people who is, is trying to escape persecution, uh, uh, escape killing, uh, escape uh, any number of factors that make an impact upon their lives. So clearly, you know, this hypocrisy the, to, to actually create the conditions in which people are desperate, then to turn around and treat them as less than human beings is only possible in the context of in the context of America. It's not to say that throughout the world you don't have people doing similar kinds of things. I think historically when you look around the world, I mean you have examples in Australia of people doing horrible things to the Aborigines. I mean clearly. Uh, in South Africa, you have people doing horrible things for African people, you know, in the, even in terms of our own history, in terms of here in America, we talk about African people in terms of the barbaric treatment and inhumane, humanity inflicted upon African people. So clearly this propensity exists in terms of dehumanizing folks that exist in America on a level which is, which is unprecedented. It's not doesn't excuse any kind of atrocities that happen around the world, but what it does say is that it speaks values in terms of the, the, what it is in terms of this American mindset. And that scares the hell out of me. You know, and you know, and for for a while they've been, been having you know so-called prisoners in cages inside prisons. Uh, 
I think very few people are aware of, you know, those kind of uh, human conditions, lack of human conditions. So when you're arguing about countries and this whole issue of human rights, I mean, again, you have another example in terms of this whole question. Does the U.S. really recognize human rights, you know? But anyway, be that as it may, let's move forward as we continue to discuss part two, a state of being. Let's move forward to our next article, which I found of interest. And this article is titled, Obama Set for a Row with New African Basketball League, backed by the NBA. And the subtopic it has a statement that this can be this can be about a lot more than what happens on the court, says former Obama. Now, I mean, when we look at this article that was written by Adam Forrest, um, several things come to mind. But one of the things that came to my mind was why would a former president and why would the so-called a president with an African background makeup, uh, one of his interest would be or goal would be to go to Africa again, use Africa as a base for exploitation, as a base to create wealth outside of Africa, to create wealth for the colonizers. Why would a former so-called African president, biologically if you want to make it like that, why would he want to take the lead in establishing an African basketball league backed by the NBA? And I think the sub- title is more interesting than anything I we would like to ponder a little bit about. And he stated, this can be about a lot more than what happens on the basketball court. What more could that be, Brother Anthony? What's your, what's your makeup on that, on, on that phenomenon? Actually, I see, uh, based upon what the article is saying, and also given Obama's history, that uh, that this, this is a plan for, for further entrenching neocolonialism in Africa. And the reason why I say that is that uh let's see uh, a lot of the a lot of the countries that are being considered for this project are dominated by neocolonialism uh for the most part. Uh countries such as Angola, Egypt, Kenya, Morocco, Nigeria, Rwanda, Senegal, and South Africa, and Tunisia. And um and uh let's see, and I think it's very dangerous considering uh the damage that uh that Obama did to Africa while he was president. Which uh which some people uh seem, uh uh you know tend to forget. Because uh, you know, you know, people are so enamored of uh, of an African being being a head of state that they don't look they don't look at the damage that was done to Africa, uh, you know, uh, 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 under his watch, particularly to Libya, and uh, that's something uh, you know that it would be a serious error to forget. And uh, to me, for that reason, this uh, development does not bode well for uh, uh, for Africa and and those countries in in particular where they're trying to set up this uh, uh, basketball league. Brother Aki, your response to this can be more a lot more than what happens on the court. 
This was a statement that Obama made, your response, Brother Haki, and I think we just lost Brother Haki. We'll come to Brother Moses. Your response to the to that statement, Brother Moses. You said you want me to talk, speak now? Yes. yes. What's, your, what's your response? Well, you say this can be more than more at stake, or this can be more than just talking about basketball. What do you think he had in mind when he made the statement? Well, I think he, you know, he obviously sees some political, political uh, uh, ground to be gained by uh, U.S. influence over these African nation countries. Uh, so I think he, you know, he he he, he sees that this is a a, a way to uh, to to uh, bring them into the Western values. And uh, and uh, and you know, so you know, he talks about you know teamwork and players uh, not just showing off when they're good, but to make their teammates better and stuff. But all this is this is you know, Obama, you know, obviously likes basketball. He had a basketball court installed in the White House while he was president and. So obviously, you know, he he has an interest in basketball, and so, but this is this is uh this is gonna be uh, imperialist uh, venture ultimately because it's gonna bring them under this under the under the sway of the NBA and and uh, and the big money making machines that that exist and. Uh, this will be a, a subset to that, uh, uh, as a feeding ground uh, for for new players uh, to come into the NBA eventually once they've proven themselves in in the African leagues and stuff. Uh, I, 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 you know, it's it's definitely to take Western values to Africa. Thank you. Let me go to Africa. Go to Africa. Let me let me you win. Let me let Yeah, let me let me understand this. Africa has a problem in terms of imbalance of trade. Uh has a problem in terms of currency rate exchange. Uh famine as a result of bombing Africa. Uh unemployment, homelessness, uh lack of uh the proper medical infrastructure. But you tell me that what's most important for Africa is a damn basketball team? Are you serious? Well, you know, one of the things I, I, I think that, you know, one of the things I, 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 I feel that the motives in terms behind this has less to do in terms of assisting Africa and had more to do furthering the, uh, the, 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 the colonial mindset. But after all, basketball is a way of distracting. It's a way of keeping people uh, 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 attention diverted from what's real. And so as long as you keep people happy and keep people thinking in terms of sports, people are less inclined to think about those things that impact their everyday life. And so I'm concerned it's a broad, it's a broader distraction. And I'm particularly concerned that's the case because when you look at it in terms of the people who are participating in this project, in particular, Pepsi Cola, uh, who has a long history in terms of exploring the African community, and then Michael Jordan. I can never forget one of the things about Michael Jordan I find, you know, this this this, this we talk about a slave. This guy's a slave. And ultimately I think about the book The Million Dollar Slave, this always comes into my mind. 
the mere fact that when Craig Hodges told Michael Jordan, listen, let, him, let us put our, use our money to build institutions throughout the cities so we can save our people. And this slave told, um, told, responded, responded to him, uh, this Jordan responding. He says that um, to Craig Hodges, he says, uh, listen, I'm not going to do that. You, know, you use your money. I ain't doing it. Well, that's fine. You don't want to do that. If, you don't want, if you're not down with helping the people in the community, that's fine. But you know what? Why did you run to white folks who own the who who basketball company, who in turn told other leaders that, in fact, Craig Hodges was an unthinking African man, that he actually thought about things, that he's a, he's a threat because he's making money, he has ideas. And so, therefore, they backlisted Craig Hodges because of the slave Michael Jordan. He's part of this process in terms of bringing basketball to, to Africa. So, so I understand that given that the, you, you're often you're judged by the company that you keep, so the mere fact that Jordan uh, is part of this process and that, that Barack Obama is part of this process, clearly the only beneficiaries is, the, is, is global imperialism, and I'm clear on that point. And I concur with all the things you said, all the, case, all the things that y'all said in reference to this particular point, and I'd like to add also I think what it would do too is it will create a smaller buffer so-called middle class of Africans in Africa, um, and that's to go along with to try to maintain, continue to uh, have Africans be committed to, to capitalism. Saying, you know, if, you know, you work hard enough, got certain things, you can you can be successful. It creates another subgroup, a class of folks with a little more resource than others, and it serve as a gatekeeper to keep U.S. interests at hand, as well as you know when you talk about bringing this basketball thing when when it, when it coming to Africa. As you stated, they also come with a whole lot of other things to make sure our Africans stay in the present condition that they're in today. So, you know, it's like a Trojan horse. They come with more games for the same thing. And we need to just be real the kind of games that people play. And seeing clearly in the 21st century, the role that Obama's uh, plan is being used as a tool to further allow Western Europeans to further entrench their domination at the oval and at the expense of our people and our resources. So, you know, I find, you know, I just find that to be, be of interest. Uh, any other final thoughts on this particular article? This is the state of being that we are in right now in terms of people mindset. Any other further um, critique of this article before we move forward, panelists? Mm-hmm. Okay, is that not any other critique, we're going to take a quick section break, and then when we come back, when you talk about a state of being, we can talk about this whole, this whole question of Amazon. They pay no federal taxes for the second year in a row. We're talking about the state of corporations and what it means to a society when they don't have to pay taxes, and how does it impact on you. We'll take a station break, and we'll be right back, and you'll listen to Africa on the moon. You have the emergence in human society of this thing that's called the state. What is the state? The state is this organized bureaucracy. It is the police department. It is the army, the navy. It is the prison system, the courts, and what have you. This is the state. It is a repressive organization. But the state is here. Well, you know, you've got to have the police because if there were no police, look at what You'd be doing to yourselves. You'd be killing each other if there were no police. But the reality is, the police become necessary in human society only 
black precinct, you know how we think. Organize the hood under our chain banners. Red, black, and green instead of gang bandanas. FBI spying on us through the radio antennas. And I'm hitting cameras in the street like watching society. With no respect for the people's right to privacy. I take a slug for the cause like Huey P. While all you fake niggas try to copy Master P. I want to be free to live. Able to have what I need to live. Bring the power back to the street where the people live. We sick of working for crumbs and filling up the prisons. Dying over money and relying on religion for help. We do for self like ants in a colony. Organize the wealth into a socialist economy. A way of life based off the common needs. And all my comrades is ready. We just spreading the seed. Live a third of his life in a jail cell Cause the world is controlled by the white male And the people don't never get justice And the women don't never get respected And the problems don't never get solved And the jobs don't never pay enough So the rent always be late Can you relate? No more bondage, no more political monsters, no more secret space launches. Government departments started it in the projects, material objects, thousands up in the closets. Could have been invested in the future for my comrades. Battle contacts, primitive weapons out in combat. Many never come back, pretty niggas be running with gas. Rather get shot in they back than fire back. We're tired of that. Corporations hiring blacks, denying the fact, exploiting us all over the map. That's why I write the shit I write in my rap. It's documented. I Every day of the week, I live in it, breathing it It's more than just fucking believing it I'm holding in one, rolling up my sleeves and shit It's the low for push-ups now, many headed for one conclusion Niggas ain't ready for revolution Black male, live a third of his life in a jail cell Cause the world is controlled by the white male And the people don't never get justice And the women don't never get respected And the problems don't never get solved and the jobs don't never pay enough. So the rent always be late. Can you relate? We living in a police state. Taxes for the second year in a row. 
It was written uh, on the 14th of February, 2019, from the Fox Business Department by Michael Henney. Now, let me just read the first two paragraphs for those who may have not had the privilege to hear this particular article. And panelists, I'd like for y'all to give y'all critique on the importance of is there a benefit for a corporation not to have to pay taxes but actually get money back. But check this out. It states that Amazon will pay zero in federal income taxes for the second year in a row. Jeff Bozo, Spawn Commerce Empire, Amazon, almost doubled its profits in 2018, but for the second year in a row, paid zero dollars in federal income tax. The world's largest online retailer, which is worth $795 billion, earned a record of $11.2 billion in U.S. profits. According to the company, U.S. Security Exchange Commission, the SEC, selling early, earlier this month, yet did not pay the 21% U.S. corporate tax thanks to leveraging unspecified tax credits and stocks based on compensation deductions. Instead, as the first reported in the Institute of Taxation and Key Economic Policy, Amazon received a federal income tax rebate $129 million, essentially amount to a tax rate of negative 1%. I'll stop right there. Panelists, when you talk about the state of being, the reality is corporations have all kinds of ways not to pay in taxes. How does this impact on a society and the people as it relates to their well-being? Start with you, Brother Anthony. Sure. Uh, the impact... <laughs> Is that uh, is that a that a greater share of the tax burden is borne by the working class and poor people in U.S. society, and also it also speaks to the fact that uh, that the way taxes are collected is kind of uh, skewed to favor the major corporations. Uh, and also in addition there is. Um, that there is no accurate accounting of uh, of uh, the U.S.'s military budget, and uh, so this takes away from programs that are vital for people's lives, such as uh, Medicare, Social Security, um, student financial aid, etc. And uh, and uh, these are programs that are vital for people uh, to maintain food, clothing, and shelter. And uh, yet, these programs are 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 in jeopardy because of the way uh, the U.S. tax code is set up to favor uh, the ruling bourgeoisie and the major corporations. Brother Hackey, you take. Question Institutions, corporations, taxes, and its impact on a society, on a country, on a people, and on humanity. Yeah, well, uh, Anthony is absolutely correct in terms of the burden being placed on working people. But you know what, Brother Africa? Situation is even more insidious. Uh, in fact, there's a systematic, uh, uh, systematic uh, um, maneuver 
which money is being transferred from the poorest people in society to wealthiest people in society. To give you an example, uh, one of the things when we talk about the functional interest rates is very interesting that the Fed has been keeping the interest rate at zero for a very, very long time. In fact, what that means essentially we're talking about is free money. So who has access to those dollars? Where well, corporations do. Now, here's the kicker. Once they get access to that, to those dollars, then they can then, then in turn take certain unspecified tax credits that you talked about or even stock-based compensation to justify, you know, not paying any tax at all. So when we talk about this 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 this, this maneuver where uh, you you systematically in 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 uh, empower or give money to corporations, we're not simply talking about the, the question in terms of just not paying taxes is one thing, but the question in terms of people actually making it possible for you to have more access to more money uh, to further enrich your nest at the expense of the community, at the expense of the nation. It's, 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 it's sad, uh, but I think that when we, when we think about in terms of them paying no taxes, keep in mind, it's nothing new. Often we hear on, on, on the news, they talk about the fact that we talk about the, um, we talk about the corporations paying a, a tax rate of, of 35%. Well, that's only in terms of theory. In terms of the, the effective tax rate, what they actually pay a lot of times is zero. The highest percentage I ever heard of corporations paying in terms of taxes is 11%. Which is which is which is a mere pittance in terms of what they're bringing in. So I'm not surprised at all in terms of they pay no tax at all. Netflix also paid no taxes despite making hundreds of billions of dollars in terms of profit. Uh, and all thing, and this is another thing that's more very serious. Not close to this, brother Africa. When we talk about the stock-based compensation deductions, what is ironic about that is that often we talk about productivity in terms of how well the economy is doing. They give us these figures. All oh, the economy is doing well. Blah 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 blah. Look at these statistics. What they what they don't tell you is that 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 those those numbers that they're talking about is a reflection of corporations taking that money, buying their stock back, which which causes the stock prices to rise, and then they in turn give that stock to their people, give the impression that in fact that the economy is doing well when in reality all they're doing is flipping the stock, and people think and the media tell us oh the, the economy is doing fine. People don't understand in terms of how the game is played. So clearly, um, this this whole this whole inference uh, inference in terms of being able to get away without paying taxes is 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 part of the course. In fact, there are those who take a position that what is happening is that systematically what they're doing, the Fed in particular is trying to bankrupt. They're bankrupting not just the U.S. the U.S. but central banks throughout the world banking uh, uh, bankrupting economies throughout the world. Because the only way to bring the bring the, to to the only way to achieve maximum maximum power or control is what they call a reset. In other words, uh, this notion that, in fact, the economy is so bad that it's irredeemable is true. They can, no matter what they do, no matter how much they tax poor people, it's not going to, they can't bring enough revenue in terms of reviving this economy. So the only option for them is to reset or destroy the economy, and that's what the Federal Reserve and the central banks throughout the world are doing. So clearly, them not paying taxes is just part of the course. And Brother Moses, you know, show your take on this article, and then we're going to make a transition that's going to be related to this article, which is this recent event that took place on the 30th in Washington, D.C., as it relates to this mobilization effort of no to NATO, no to the Convention of Israel, and yes to peace. We're going to bring in our brother, Neil Holmes, and we have with our brother, Anthony, who we're going to discuss recently what took place this weekend at this event. So your take on this article, um, Brother Moses. Um, well, you know, 
the U.S. government was established by property owners, and uh, and uh, it's always been in the hands of the only, the ruling class has always been in the hands of 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 uh, people who are looking out for the interests of property owners, and so the corporate structure is is part of the 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 uh, established order now, and uh, they they influence and dictate the government policies, etc. And uh, the the people who are in government look out for the interests of these these corporate owners and. Uh, and so the bottom line is they pass tax laws, et cetera, that will assure that these these corporations will make money and uh they have the they they put in the tax laws such that the corporations are able to avoid paying taxes. And this is this is part all part of the government and uh uh and uh, as an institution. And uh, we have to understand that this institution is a property, property owning class interest uh, preservers, and that people, people who go into government, they usually get co-opted into looking out for the interest of the property owning class. It's very seldom that you you get a a, a person like Omar who's pointing out the contradictions. And uh, the sister in New York who's pointing out the contradictions. These these are rare exceptions, and uh, they are few and far between. The dominant dominant representatives are looking out for the interests of the corporation. They are paid, and they they are uh, they they attain office by soliciting money from these corporations and. Uh, and maintaining their interests is, is is number one on their agenda, and so you know the fact that these that that some corporations don't pay any taxes is not that strange when you think about it. Uh, this this government is set up for the corporations and in the interest of the corporations, and that's the bottom line. Thank you. Okay, let's make this transition and tie this into this recent event that took place, no to NATO and no to the invention against Venezuela, and yes to peace. Many times when we talk about wars, when we talk about um, uh, the use of the people resources, most of the time it is done on behalf of multi-corporations, like the ones we're speaking of, like Amazon, as an example. But right now there's a grassroots movement against militarization, all around the world, and one event that spoke to that issue took place this weekend in Washington, D.C. DC on the 30th of March. And two of the individuals who were there at the event would like to just get a, a, their report on what did they observe at this particular event and why it was important for this event to take place. Right now, we'd like to bring our guest in, Brother Neil Holmes, who is a educator, organizer, intellectual, We'd like to welcome to Africa on the move. Welcome, Brother Neil. Um, yeah, thank you very much, um, uh, uh, Brother, Brother Africa, for uh, inviting me on the show. Um, we went to the um, to the march and rally uh, yesterday, and 
I'm I'm going to have to give an sort of a incomplete report in the sense that uh, due to traffic, we got there after the the march had happened, and all we saw was what happened after the march in terms of the rally. So so um, I I can't give a full well-rounded report, but this is um, this is what I want to uh, point out. I think it's a, a very important movement. There was a march on the 16th, again on the 30th, and um, and there's going to be another march. I think next this uh, coming weekend by the um, Black Alliance for Peace. So one of the things that if we compare this to two periods in history, compared to the Vietnam uh, uh, anti-war movement of Vietnam, and compared with um, uh, what happened after the NATO attack on Libya, we see uh, two things. One, it took a very long time. It took a relatively long time for the for uh, an effective anti-war movement against Vietnam to really occur. I mean, Vietnam was well underway before people started coming into the street. And when they first began to come into uh, some of these demonstrations and so forth, they were relatively, they were small. And uh, and then through, uh, you know, as quantity builds up, we began over time to see a qualitative change. That quantities around the country built up, then we began to see a qualitative change where the, the movement became a very strong movement and other movements kind of, uh, the civil rights movement, the black power movement, uh, other movements that were going on also came out in support of this uh, anti-war movement and, in fact, helped to give birth to this anti-war movement. So so one thing is, is that the movement, as it's beginning now, is getting underway almost in real time as the coup is trying to unfold, as this U.S. slash Israel slash NATO-inspired uh, coup is unfolding in, in real time, the counter, uh, the anti-war movement is also uh, unfolding. And it's much more you know, effective than the... Uh, no, go finish your point, Brother Neil. I have another question. Yeah, yeah, the second point I want to make is that it's, it's and more recently, uh, when we compare it to Libya, the reaction to Libya, the invasion and the overthrow of a and the uh, of of of, uh, of a legitimate government, uh, African government, uh, Pan African government, was um, we got a very little response to that one. And so this one, the response is not only earlier, but it's it's, it's growing. You know, brother, brother Neil, when we talk about this whole phenomenon of the, the build-up and the continued increase of resources in the area of militarization, I mean, looking at NATO as an institution, can you explain to our listening audience, particularly to the African community, what role has NATO played toward this this whole question of militarizing humanity in terms of all of these these walls and people not having the means to have basic health care needs, etc. What can you share with our listening audience about the rule of NATO and why we should try to dismantle and, 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 and dissolve this whole institution that we call NATO? 
one big problem in NATO, one big problem that NATO poses is that when, when NATO was first uh, established, it was established really to fight uh, international socialist forces around the world. And and if you look at the the North Atlantic Treaty Organization, basically what you're talking about are European, the major European imperialist powers, capitalist powers, however you want to refer to them. And these are the same powers who became capitalists. They didn't just become capitalists overnight by just being uh good businessmen or whatever, they became capitalists, the majority of them, by engaging in the uh, slavery and the enslavement of our people and the buying and selling of our people around the world. <clears throat> so each of those big powers, the United States, uh, Britain, uh, France, uh, those leading powers inside of NATO, they, uh, they had their beginnings like capitalism uh, does, as, as, as in Krumah tells, uh, Kwame Nkrumah tells us, that capitalism uh, flows out of, and uh, of, of uh, it's, it's just a re, uh, reformation of, 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 of slavery. So um, basically what these NATO is, for the African community you have to understand that NATO is fighting to preserve the wealth that was initially created in, the, uh, in slavery, in the enslavement of our people. And the systems that grew out of it, that capitalist and that imperialist systems, uh, continue to shape the world in such a way that our people are at the very bottom of the of the of the world's uh, in the world system. And this uh, and NATO uh, seeks to continue that. Now, if we want to look at more recent events in terms of NATO, and and and, and see, NATO has gotten to the point. There was a time, for instance, when Malcolm would say things like. We need to take things to the U.N. and, 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 and so forth, and, and there in the U.N. we can have an international hearing. But NATO has gotten to the point, the United States has gotten to the point, where it has uh, pretty much uh, in many times, in most times, tried to enforce its will on, on the United Nations, certainly did in, 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 in Libya's situation. NATO now, I mean, the U.N. on this particular situation in terms of Venezuela is now resistant a little bit, but we don't know how long that resistance can, can hold out. Um, so when we look at NATO, we're looking at someone who is upholding really what some people refer to as uh, white supremacy, uh, basically what you know, we call the whole system of neocolonial, colonial, domestic colonial um, oppression around the world That's their whole reason for being And they would use any Deadly means To accomplish that And there's no difference uh, in, the Uni- in the Democratic Party And the Republican Party In terms of their willingness To uh, use that Deadly force At the rally yesterday There was a gentleman from uh, What used to be Yugoslavia he said when he went to the, he lived in, in Yugoslavia, he had a free a good free education. They had people had vacations, long longer vacations than you have here, and good vacations, free health care, all of that stuff, and it was all and his country was all blown to bits um, because it practiced uh, socialism, and and as a result of that blowing to bits 
all of those things that he experienced as a person is no longer being uh, experienced. And the key thing here is that it was blown to bits under the pretense of humanitarian intervention. This was a Bill Clinton uh, uh, saying. It's not. It's not original with Bill Clinton because when Africa was first colonized, the imperialists said, we're going to colonize Africa to protect the Africans from the Arabs. We're going to go in and protect them, and, 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 we, and we lost our freedom um, for, for about 100 years. So, um, so this is, uh, and we still haven't fully come out of it. So this is why African people in particular need to uh, uh, confront this NATO because it is trying to roll back every accomplishment that our people have made politically and economically and culturally over the last uh, since 1957. Every every everything that we've done as a people um, around the world. It has it's it's rolling back, and it's been the key instrument for rolling it back. And if you talk about the militarization, here we are talking about using armed means, military means, uh, to uh, to force people who are trying to have a decent life to force them to uh, to live in, in, in squalor. And, and and have no money, have have no kind of uh, really uh, life. Now, going back to your earlier discussion about taxes and no uh, and so forth, one of the things that we see when we begin to have these situations in the United States, for instance, when they deprive, when they uh, when they don't collect taxes and have these big tax rebates, then that money is not going into the government. And then the next thing, the the, uh, the uh, the uh, people we didn't say people like the president or the, uh, the Congress say, well, we don't have money for food stamps, we don't have money for uh, uh, education for 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 um, poor people, we don't have money for this and we don't have so we have to cut that out because we don't have money. Why don't we have money? Because we're giving it all to rich folks. We have a situation now where we have such intense concentration of wealth, the most intensive concentration of wealth, probably in mo- at least in modern history, maybe in history as a whole. You have a handful of people, we, you can almost count them on your hand, who have who control as much wealth as you can count them on the hand, control as much wealth as half of the world's population. And that includes people like Bezos that you just finished talking about. So, so, so this NATO is merely the um, the armed forces that protect these people: the Bezoses, the the Cokes, the Koch brothers, the Waltons, uh, all of those high tech people down there in Silicon Valley. It's the thing that protects them and their wealth, even at the same time as they force people out of their homes. And into tents, uh, families have families living in tents, uh, uh, homeless because they come in and just just uh, jack up uh, land prices. And they just, and and this is the same process that's going on all around the world. So this militarization, this militarization, this solving the problem 
through the use of armed force, this uh, stripping away, this ripping people off, the masses of people, of any kinds of attempt, of any kinds of ability to control their own destiny and their own resources uh, so that they can move forward in a way that, that uh, enhances their life, enhances the life of their babies and their children is why we must oppose this NATO. And we have to understand also that NATO is acting in concert with, um, with, the, with the Israel and also the, uh, um, the Gulf states, especially in terms of the, the um, people like the um, Saudis, have all signed on to this thing as, as, as uh, subcontractors in this process. Okay, Brother Neil, we, have, we are running out of time. We'd like to thank you for your report on March the 30th. And we'd like to get a, a quick report from Brother Anthony in terms of his participation with the rally. Brother Anthony, can you give us a quick report uh, on what you observe at the rally and what you would like to share with the people before we call it a day for the day, a night for the day? Sure. Okay, I'll try to do that. Um the, the 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 rally um had a had a very diverse turnout. Uh wasn't a very um um there was some, there was some uh the uh, African representation at the at, at, among the rally presentations was pretty good. Had uh people such as John Mubaraka, uh Pam Africa uh and uh let's see and uh, uh let's see um and some uh, and some other brothers and sisters uh were featured uh during a portion of the rally that I saw and uh let's see uh wasn't a a a very heavy african presence in the crowd but i think uh, but i think it, i think that's partly due to the uh to to the fact that um you know more 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 work needs to be done uh, done, done, done among our people in order to get them to see the importance of opposing NATO and opposing U.S. intervention in Venezuela, and there was a heavy emphasis on that, correctly so, because uh, I, the conditions are being created uh to allow for US in, uh, a US military invasion of Venezuela and what people un, the, the, uh, have to understand is that is that that is the masses of uh, poor uh indigenous and african people that uh, 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 that that are going to bear the brunt of that uh, of that fighting and uh let's see and also um this series of activities includes concludes Thursday, April fourth, uh, the anniver- on the anniversary of the founding of NATO, and uh, and I think that's when their uh, their meeting starts on April fourth. So that's okay, when well, uh, the Black Alliance of Peace rally culminates. Uh, okay. Brother Neil, Brother Anthony, we'd like to thank you for your report. We are out of time. What we'd like to real quickly, we'll go quickly to Brother Aki. We'd like to get his final thoughts. And we'll go to Brother Moses, our final thoughts. And we would like to say what we say to people again. Next time, be next week, same time, same station. 
Remember, we try to provide you with information so you can think, and introduce you to your organization so you can think more clearly, become more active toward helping to alleviate the suffering of your people you imagine. So real quickly, Brother Hack, K.H., final thoughts for the night. Yeah, African Wellness Association will be going to Guantanamo Bay, uh, Senari, Cuba, and Havana. And this trip takes place July 24th to July 31st. For information, call us at 202-714-9435 or email us at African Awareness Association, all one word, number two, at gmail.com. And my final statement is the courage to put on Ravel the Matrix. Brother Lowe, this is your final thoughts for the night. Well, it's been a good show. Uh, I think, you know, we have to, as Brother uh, Haki always says, to unravel the matrix. Uh, there's a lot of information and misinformation, uh, but we have to get to the realities of what's actually happening. And I think in order to do that, we have to be ideologically sound. We have to read and study and come to a understand, an independent understanding of what's going on in the world. Thank you. Brother Neil, Brother Neil, final thoughts, one minute less. Yeah, um, the only thing I want to add is that uh, also from this discussion uh, this weekend that I think the level of ideological understanding at the, this movement was higher. It's higher at the beginning of the struggle anti-war struggle than it was, you know, some years ago. I think that's really good. And you had a mix of older people and younger people. So I think this is a good time for everybody to, to get involved with the movement and to actually take this thing really out to the people. Thank you, Brother Neil. Brother Anthony, one minute left. One minute left, final thoughts. Final thought is that we must get better organized as a people in order to gain our liberation and preserve the existence of the planet. Thanks. Thank you, panelists. Thank you, guests. Thank you, listening audience, for supporting Africa on the Move. We'll see you next week, same time, same station. And we want you to remember this by war. Come <laughs>